0: They may be called the next generation, but they're the church of today. Reach, disciple, and mobilize students to share the hope of the gospel. This is
1: Next Gen On Mission with Shane Pruitt and Paul Wooster. All right. What's up, friends? Welcome to another episode of the Next Gen On Mission podcast. My name is Shane Pruitt. I'm the National Next Gen Director, and I got my co host with me, always on Paul Wooster, our National Collegiate Director. What's up, Paul? What's
0: up, man? Here I'm up here in Northern California on the coast. It's cold, but it's beautiful
1: up here, man. Absolutely. Hey, and so if you've been listening, you know that um, you only hear audio, but we can see each other through video. So Paul has a different backdrop today. Usually it's the plant and the surfboard. But today, man, you're like sitting where you got a cupboard behind you and like some draperies. It looks like you're like in little house on the prairie or something, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I built this built-in right here behind me, and <laughs> no, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Hey, well, Paul, man, I am so excited about our guest today. He is a dear, dear friend of mine. We go way back, uh, man. He's a young leader. God's used him tremendously. Uh, God's been, um, man, just working through him to reach. And mobilize a generation with the gospel. Uh, man, so kind. Seriously, one of the nicest guys I know, uh, one of the most connected. And uh, today we're going to be talking about discipling next generation leaders with my dear friend, Grant Skeldon. Grant is the next gen director for Q. Um, he also uh, was the one who started the Initiative Network, which is an awesome network of mobilizing young leaders and uh, young millennials and now Gen Z to reach their cities with the gospel. He's also an author, speaker, and uh, just got married. So Grant Skeldon, welcome to the Next Gen On Mission podcast. Hey, let me ask you a question. How does it feel to officially be a part of a club that married way, way over their head? How does that feel, man?
2: (laughs) Basically, how does it feel to be a Christian leader that's a male? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not... It was, they say discipleship is caught more than it's taught. And that's what I always caught is like, dude, something about it is like, I had a mentor once tell me, Grant, if you go into ministry, uh, we were kind of on this crazy expensive trip, but we didn't pay for it at all. And he said, if you go into ministry, you're probably never going to be rich, but you'll always find yourself living like a king. And mm-hmm. and I found I was like, where you ask yourself constantly, like, how did I end up here? And I, I apply that to, Opportunities and now I'm applying that, yeah, to our spouses and all that. We're very blessed, yeah.
1: Oh, dude, uh, man, you know, you know my wife well, Casey. So, you know, I'm yeah. definitely a part of that club. And Paul, I would tell you, Paul's definitely a part of that club as well, married way over his as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you guys awesome. want any
2: marriage advice, though, I, my five month uh, anniversary was this week, and so I, I got you guys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 Greg, I'll tell you, man, I had all these sermons on marriage until I got <laughs> married. And then I had all these sermons of raising kids until I had kids. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I got the twenty things not to do in marriage. That's a, that'll be. <laughs>
1: That's a good angle. That's a good angle. Yeah. Well, awesome. Hey, Grant. Hey, before we jump in, man, and get too spiritual, tell us one fun thing about yourself that we may not already know.
2: Uh, a couple of fun things. I mean, I'm into spike ball right now a lot. That's uh, one of my big things. I, I gather people around spike ball. Maybe equally to Christ these days. And so I'm an evangelist. Um, I also, I don't think a lot of people realize like uh, two things is I, people like Marvel. Everyone does at this point. But I've been like loving Marvel. And I mean, I'm, if there's little points I'm watching, like uh, right after this, I'm going to watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier because every Thursday night the episode comes out. And so I got to get through this. And then I get to go do the Lord's work and watch that show. And so, Marvel, anything around comic books, I dig a lot. And then especially, I live in Nashville now. I just moved here from Dallas. Uh, and people are always surprised. I'm Mexican and South African, but I predominantly grew up with Black people. However, I love country music. Uh, I didn't until college. I used to make fun of it. I would have been made fun of for liking it uh, where I grew up. But after a breakup one day, I, I just heard one, a, song, a country song on the radio. I was like, this is connecting with my emotions right now. And I just started liking country. And, and I'm not talking about like the sad, like my dog died and my girl right. left. It's kind of the new country, which some people don't like, but I, I dig country music a lot. So it's pretty cool to be in Nashville now.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude. For me, um, you know, we're in, I'm in California. And so it's not cool to like country, but man, yeah. I started listening to country when I was in Texas, just driving through the, the plains, you know, or whatever. For sure. I'm like, okay, I, I I get it. I get it. There's certain- It's a certain vibe. Times. Yeah, it is <laughs> for sure. And then Spikeball, dude, that is like, I'm in collegiate ministry. So it's like, yeah, that is yeah. collegiate ministry 101. It is. <laughs> I, I love that.
1: But so, I, I have to say about Spikeball, Grant, you have to be the first like non-white guy that I've ever heard say- 100%. They love Spikeball,
2: dude. <laughs> dude, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you yeah. 90% of the guys I'm bringing out that are- People of color have never even heard of spike ball. And then I'd say, they'll be like, What is it? I'm like, Did you ever see like white kids in college playing this thing in the field? And I'll show them that they're like, Yeah, I've seen, yeah, I've seen in college. Some of the white kids would do that.
1: Yeah, one night at the porch, Triple E, he was speaking and they were playing spike ball all over the place outside. And he gets on the stage to speak at the porch. He's like, he just gets up and the first thing he says is like, Spike Ball. What is spike ball? That has to be the (laughs) whitest sport I've ever seen. (laughs)
2: I love dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it is what it is, dude. It is it is fun. I mean, I've introduced anyone that I know, man, especially like you know Chi Chi and some of some of our yep. black friends, man, they're so good at spike ball once they just get it. Like obviously and it's a different way that they play spike ball. Like it's yeah. so awesome to introduce people that they've never played to Spike Ball. It's been fun.
0: i love that man so so this is we we'll start getting into the more serious questions we can kind of ease into it but um what we asked this question of all our guests what do we need to know about generation z i mean you wrote a book about millennials but uh what do we need to know about generation z
2: yeah uh i'd say two things come to mind immediately one would be millennials and uh, We grew up uh, seeing, for generations, people have been leaving the church incrementally. I think millennials was a mass exodus that was unlike generations before, where uh, a lot of young people my age, and I would even say this is true for my own story, uh, grew up in a youth ministry with certain friends that were like their key friends in youth ministry, went to college, and then I'd say 10 years after entering college, uh, we look back and most of those people that were following hard after Jesus just are not. Uh, They're not in church. They're potentially hurt by God and or hurt by especially Christians. Um, They feel like the church maybe is not a bad thing, but not a necessary thing. Um, they just, there's a lot of variations of why they're not engaged in the church and why they're not engaged in the word of God Um, from really hurt to, I just don't feel like it's a high priority. and so that's millennials is growing up. Like I, what's crazy about for me is I became a new believer at 16, entered a church. And I was very fortunate to get discipled two weeks after I gave my life to Christ, brand new church. Actually, first time I went to this youth ministry, gave my life to Christ, heard a testimony that just rocked me was anyway, at the right time, the right place. I was in the, even in the right season, like God had a plan. Mm-hmm. And um, two weeks later, I get saved. My youth pastor thrust me into this leadership team of about 12 to 15 kids that he was personally like meeting with weekly, pouring into uh, just advocating for. And these kids, the youth ministry was a huge, it was about 600 high school students and a little over a thousand middle school students. And for me to get saved and get thrust into this group, I I was very privileged and honored and challenged very strongly to like grow and mature quickly so you can hang with these guys. And uh, what's crazy is I always felt like I'm just honored and privileged to be here with these guys that have like, they truly know the word of God more than I do. They they know so much more than I do. I'm still learning. And now I look at it 10 years later, and I'm like, man, most of those kids are not, the leaders of the large youth ministry are not in church, hurt by church. Or like, yeah, there's so many things that I'm like, dang, I can't believe I'm the one that lasted. Uh, and so I would say uh, the difference is Gen Z isn't as much, uh, it still, it's still uh, isn't as much seeing their generation leaving church i I feel like a lot of the young people i know especially up north and not in the bible belt um they just didn't even grow up with their friends in church uh it it makes me think of um charles spurgeon quote uh, he says you're either a missionary or you're an imposter and kind of for them i think you're either a missionary that's the only option like there you wouldn't even want to be an imposter like there's no imposter or just kind of fake it like there's no reason to be a christian uh because you're not getting points in gen z like the the culture has shifted far too much to where uh, I I was once in a room with a lot of leaders and Tim Keller was speaking to us about how culture, he said 20 years ago, culture used to think that the church is irrelevant, but he said now the the culture doesn't think church is irrelevant. Culture thinks that we're hostile towards it. And so like we, you get an X on your back in some ways. Um, And so I think for Gen Z, you're either a missionary or that's all you, or or you're not a Christian kind of. Um, And so that leads into the second thing of if they're not growing up with seeing their generation lead, but in fact, not just knowing, hey, if you're going to do this, you're going to somewhat be alone when it comes to you got to do this because it's you in your relationship with God alone. I'm seeing a, a missional fervor, and I would even say not even like a, I I would say like a revivalist fervor among Gen Z. Mm-hmm. The most mature levels of Gen Z that I'm seeing, like to the degree where I'm like, dang, I'm a millennial guy that loved the millennial generation, but I've shifted in the last year, year and a half of to the best of our ability as millennials. We're not gonna, we're not the next generation anymore, anyways. Um, but let's do a better job than Xers did with us of like giving the baton early to young leaders and like find some, advocate for them, open doors for them, resource them, give them wisdom, uh, challenge them. Uh, yeah, just let them fail forward so that we can. We don't have. I don't think we can keep wasting our time where we like only focus on the true next generation, which is I think teenagers and 20 somethings, once they're actually already graduated out of the home and already left the church. And now we're gonna say, oh yeah, we should focus on the next generation. Like we could mm-hmm. focus on them earlier. Um, and so lastly, I'll just say, this is really cool is what I've noticed is, I feel like the every generation responds to the generation before them, kind of like a pendulum. And there's good sides of that and bad sides of that. And so like for, um, I think Xers kind of really responded. This would be like the Andy Stanley, the Bill Hybels, the Rick Warrens, uh, kind of saw church as a little stodgy and seeing certain people, uh, it was no longer people just feeling like, I'm gonna go to church because I just gotta go to church. Uh, So this sacred event that was always just sacred to everyone, culture was changing and some people were leaving the church or even worse were hurt by church. And so they really thought, how do we reach this unchurched, de-churched group of people and they created, uh, instead of a sacred event, they kind of made it, um, I would say, a comfortable environment. Right. Like how do we make this a comfortable environment for those that are far from God or hurt by God, Whether they like, enter into this building and in this environment are like, wow, this isn't the church I went to with my grandma or my mom. This is somewhere I want to bring my family. And I think even family church became really big and the seeker sensitive movement in a lot of ways. I do think helped reach people that were far from God. So I, I think right. it's often this, um, there is again a shadow to every great uh, thing, I think. And so uh, however, I think millennials, we saw a comfortable church, and um, I think that we were like, we don't want it to be comfortable. We want we want to be a part of like a cause. We want it to be like changing the world. I don't I'm not called to be comfortable. I want to go uh, be a part of something bigger than myself. Unfortunately, I do think the world did a way better job of communicating cause than the church in the last 10, 20 years. Like we're just now starting to realize. Hey, we can, Jesus does care about the injustices in the world. And it's not an either or like, uh, like Louis Giglio says, it's, it's just two sides of the same coin. Like the gospel mm-hmm. bleeds into justice. It's just inevitable. Um, and so all that to say is, millennials cared a lot about cause. However, the shadow of what we did is I think, and I'm realizing through Gen Z is we really cared about the cause of Christ and reaching people and injustices and all that. But the downside and the shadow is we also really try to make Jesus and Christianity, especially cool is like, how do we make being a Christian cool enough to be relevant to the next generation? How do we make church cool enough and relevant to the next generation? Like you guys have been in ministry for a long time. Like I've been thinking about this recently is if when I was new believer and when actually when I went to church a youth pastor, what they used to dress like compared to what a youth pastor dresses like today was not cool. Like it was, it was like a camp t-shirt, like that was green and not even a cool color. And it was like hookah shells. And they would like <laughs> use a microphone that was like the Garth book groups kind of microphone for youth ministry. And it was like NSYNC type of hair, like yeah, and yeah. cargo shorts and some sandals. Like it was not cool. Like but he was him. That was like who he was. And he loved the kids and everyone loved that youth pastor. And I'm just like, but he wasn't cool. No one was confused thinking he was cool. They're like, that guy loves me. And he's like a father figure or a big brother to me. But he's not cool. He's not someone I'm going to bring into like the school and say, this is the coolest guy ever. He's going to like be Carl Lentz or Judah Smith to, to the youth there. Like, It's <laughs> not the vibe. And so I, I think what we did poorly is like, we really did think we can make Jesus cool enough to the next generation. And as we're realizing again, with that quote by Keller, which I think is true, is like the culture is just getting so far from the things of God and biblical values that there are certain things about Jesus that I personally think it for no generation will ever be cool. Like dying to yourself, it just kind of isn't that cool. And uh, that's just like touching the surface on certain things that, uh, that make Jesus actually offensive and he is. And that's not a new thing that's been told to us. And so what I'm seeing is if we made, um, if Exers kind of really focused on making church comfortable, we're focused on making it a cause, but also just cool, which is, is a misstep. I'm seeing a generation that's like, we are tired. We see you guys trying to make Jesus cool and and be cool and be impressive to the world. Like there's a reason preachers and sneakers exist. It wouldn't have existed um, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then there's just like, I'm seeing the the mature guys almost like Lennon Ravenhill Billy Graham were like we just need to focus mm-hmm. on the basics on the things of God on pursuing his heart his approval his mission hearing well done but especially we need as many people as possible to hear about Jesus Christ so I would say comfortable to cool to just really a focus on Christ like he is enough and he is what people in our generation needs we've tried so much other things they don't satisfy and so I'm like y'all are some some old souls and if we could just disciple them well advocate for them Well, i'm i'm pretty excited about their heart
1: yeah i love that grant i agree man and it is one thing i've been telling uh, next gen leaders especially with gen z is that if we try really hard to be cool then to Generation Z, it comes across as inauthentic or like cheesy, you know, especially as the church. I think though, like if we try to come off cool to them, it comes off cheesy. So I just yeah. like be you. Like if you're a, if you're a Dockers guy, be you. If you're a jeans and sneaker guy, be you, man. I love that. And so, so Grant, in the, in the mindset of discipling next generation leaders, um, hey, where do you feel like the church is crushing it? when it comes to discipleship and mentoring and then where is the church failing and can do better? Crushing it and doing, could do better. Um, let's see.
2: Crushing it. Um, uh, crushing it. It's hard. That's like such a strong phrase to say you're crushing it. I, I see where we're, right. we we're
1: we're, we're,
2: we're doing good. We're, we're, good. we're, we're
1: doing, doing a uh, good job.
2: Yeah and, there were, yeah, and I and that's you kind know, dude I I mean I really do I love the church and I love this church so much that I'm like I also got to be realistic of like yeah. if seven out of ten millennials were leaving the church when entering college I mean it's only probably a little bit worse for Gen Z that mm-hmm. that, that I look at as like let's say DFW airport where you're at Shane um would, if you went and they told you before pulling up they're like hey something has happened over the weekend I know you could fly a lot Shane so it's like we just want to let you know, for some reason, seven out of 10 of these flights are crashing. <laughs> so I, don't think, I don't think you would get on a plane. I just yeah, don't I think would you would. Right so, and then if you ask them, right. well, but how are we crushing it? I'm like, I don't think, I, can, I don't know if I can come up with an answer for that, but I will, what I would say is uh, I, I, the biggest thing I could say is I do have, I'm seeing more and more sincere desire for the older generation, I want to reach the next generation. I mean, that's a, it's a very sincere desire. Um, I i do think the older generation has in them what the next generation needs. And that is like wisdom. And it is like, a uh, what the older generations have done a lot better than I think young people is just, there's a tie to the word of God that it's like, we're, we're tethered to this, no matter where the culture sways, we're tethered to this. And And even through recent conversations with some young Gen Z leaders, I'm like, it it almost seems like you're using I said this actually yesterday actually to Gen Z Lee. I was like, it seems like you're using logic for how you decide what is okay and what's not okay instead of the Bible. Because I was like, logically, you could say, Well, isn't this the same as this and isn't the same as that? And I was like, you can make these different arguments, but I'm like, I just don't hear you quoting the scriptures for why you're making some pretty big decisions on how you're living um and so i think that that tethering to the word of god especially in uh the baptist circles when it comes to like the resurgence in the 80s of just like hey we're we're kind of getting away from this and we gotta like fight to stay uh true and pure to uh this original word of god and so um that would be big i think we're gonna need that more than ever uh gabe lyons my boss would say the same thing he's like it's just it's critical that the next generation gets in the word of god more than What's going on in culture, what the news is saying, so that we can respond wisely and thoughtfully uh, to all that. So that that actually be, that'd be huge because that's 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 not uh, something I'm seeing the next generation killing it at. Uh, what i what I think that they do poorly is everybody wants to know how to reach the next generation, I feel like, but few people have made uh, very intentional steps to have a relationship with just one person in the next generation. Um, and so uh, don't. I think one of the best ways to learn about them is like, just have one single relationship with them. Uh, I, I'd mm-hmm. apply a lot of the rules to racial reconciliation to generational reconciliation. It's like, right. uh, you're not going to fix another group from a distance um, or you shouldn't even just learn about another group from a distance. Just uh, one of the best ways to uh, have a racially reconciled heart or just compassion for those that are different than you is to simply build a relationship with, one person that, uh, is in that group of people that you're wanting to learn about and be concerned for more, have compassion for and advocate for.
0: Mm, yeah, it's good. Love that. Love that. A lot of our, um, listeners are pastors, youth pastors or college pastors, and, uh, kind of leads to this next question. Um, what are some ways that they can make sure that this discipleship and mentoring is happening across the board? in their churches or their, their youth ministries or collegiate ministries, what are, what's some practical advice that you would give to kind of create this discipleship culture in your organization? Yeah.
2: yeah. And that's good. uh, Paul, just even talking about culture. I, I had a mentor who actually ironically lived in Nashville um, for while I was in Dallas. And um, he'd always, he said this thing that kind of really shifted my it, we all have a couple quotes or a couple things said to us, like, man, that really changes the way my lens on certain things. And for me, when it comes to culture and when it came to success as a Christian leader and as, especially as a Christian organization, church or nonprofit, this saying for me, I was like, it's kind of the lens now that I see culture and success. Is he said, what you count and what you celebrate creates your culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to say it again. It's like, what you count and what you celebrate creates your culture. Uh, I think every staff should spend a significant time, like a true meeting or two, around. Hey, if we're real with ourselves, um, what do we count here, and what do we celebrate here? Mm. Um, and maybe even then run the, then ask that question to some key uh, people that have been involved in the organization and in the church, and ask them, what do you feel like we often celebrate here um, as leaders, and whether it's on stage or especially even off stage? Because, uh, and then what do we count here? What do you feel like you're hearing a lot of numbers, like we're we're being intentional to measure and to share the numbers uh, with you guys because that's going to create the culture of what people think. Okay, so if you measure, uh, which Jim Cimbala, who wrote Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Pastor out of Brooklyn, would say uh, most churches uh, count butts, budgets, and buildings.
0: (laughs) Um, So how
2: many people show up? What is the giving this week? And maybe a campaign for some new uh, campus uh, building that we're going to have an addition to um, or a new church plant. But it's like this, uh, yeah, we're we're really focused on those three buts, budgets and buildings. Uh and and I think it's easy to hear me and say, Well, we gotta count those things. And I would say you do. Like, um right. I would just think uh I don't even think the problem is that we're counting the wrong things. I think the problem is that we're not counting everything we should be counting. Uh, mm-hmm. I just would say don't mm-hmm. X out giving, like don't X out uh counting uh, attendance. Those are important things and they're in the Bible, like um right. <laughs> yeah. all that to say is like. I would just say, Are you measuring discipleship? To me, that's the the first true step of caring about the culture in your church concerning discipleship. Um, I would go so far to say, until you measure discipleship, it's hard for me to truly believe a church that doesn't measure discipleship truly cares about discipleship because like um I would I think about our mission statements as a church. They often say something to the degree of uh, we exist to make disciples um in our city to transform whatever it's usually make disciples there's so many churches across america is in the mission statement it's basically we this is the product we make as christians is disciples however i apply that to other businesses like nike they make shoes and i would say you know they know how many shoes they made and they know how many shoes they sold at the end of the year Uh, chick-fil-a knows how many chick-fil-a sandwiches they sold each year Tesla knows how many cars they sold. Like I can go on and on and on every business knows very clearly. I mean, they're looking at it weekly, monthly, yearly and assessing it. But if I ask the church, how many disciples did you make last year? They can't tell me most of the time. Mm-hmm. They can only tell me how many people came to an event weekly. They can tell me how many people gave. And so um, my problem is with that is they'll say, well, we do discipleship organically. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you already heard me on this, I mean, I I always say I'm half Mexican. I don't know Spanish too too well, but I think that's got to be a Spanish word. Organic got to be a Spanish word for. It. We don't really have a plan. We really do hope this works out. Uh, spiritually, I sincerely want it to work, but we don't really have a study. I mean, a plan in place for this. And so uh, I just I I see Jesus, and I'm like, man, he why would we do discipleship organically when he when he did it so strategically oh, um, I love and I would even cite, say he did it so strategically that I believe and this is not just my opinion. So I fine finding people disagree, but like, I, I believe that Jesus prioritized by looking at the scriptures, I believe he'd prioritize discipleship over large gatherings. Um, mm-hmm. Like when I see him leave the 5000 I just think of a leader today. If they had 5,000 that showed up, they would have started a mega church out of that 5,000. Like they would have at least in our today's culture would have been like, hey, this is incredible. Guys, before you leave, they would have gone the MC mode. Like before y'all leave, let's do this next year because you guys it's going to be better next year and you don't want to miss it because we always do that with our hands when we announce something as we hit our hands like you don't want to miss it because we're such like promoters in the church of like we're event coordinators if we don't care about discipleship and so we're just trying to get them to come next year to this new this new conference going to be even bigger and better and bigger speakers and he didn't do that he didn't he didn't I mean, almost to a degree of like, if Billy Graham did what Jesus did, he might have been fired. I'm like, no follow-up card, no connecting them to churches. He just leaves them (laughs) and gets on a boat with the 12. And it really, really rocked me because I was in Dallas at the time where conferences are king, big churches are king. And I was like, man, either he's a really bad leader or we got our priorities a little mixed up. Um, Uh, I started to focus on, I think it's not either or again. I just think, I do think though, more important than the large gatherings are discipleship. So measure it, that's all I say. When you measure it, it forces you to define it. If Then it forces you to say, what's our plan for it? And then it, then you could start talking about, let's do a series on it, let's talk through it. Um, and lastly, I'll just say, every church should probably do discipleship among their staff for a full year before they ever preach to their people about doing it. Like wow. churches need to know, do you know everyone on your staff and who they're discipling? if you if you don't even do it among your staff you have no idea if your staff is even have an individual relationship with someone younger in the faith uh it's going to be hard to call people to do something you're not doing as well as i just want to admit that doing discipleship is so hard because so many things will come before discipleship so many things will seem more urgent so many things come up and uh you got to give yourself a year of failing forward like i had to do this my own stuff where it's like get the whiteboard in the main meeting room and just every person's name. And under that name, I want to know who are you discipling? I want to know their name. And then, and then above their name, I want to see, are you getting discipled too? You don't know, no matter what age you are or season you are, someone's always spiritually a step ahead of you. And, um, and then we would do every two weeks, we would just check in to talk about it just to check in. Cause it's good to like, hey how's it going oh and they'll be like you know what honestly in 2 weeks we haven't even we haven't even met i need a, i need to call and reach out or invite them to something or see if i can join them or see if we can meet up or something um, but just trying to unlearn what we know a little bit to relearn how important discipleship was to Jesus therefore how important it should be with us because we're not too busy i always say like if jesus if jesus who is far more busy and far more important than you are did uh, did prioritize discipleship like, who do we think we are to think we're too busy and got
1: too much on our plate to disciple? Yeah, that's good, Grant. Grant, I, you're going back. uh When we were together earlier in the year at the Empower Conference, <laughs> You were talking about the hardest job in any church is the host every week. Getting up, it's like You got to convince everybody to come back next week because yeah. next week could not even be better than this week was. And then you got to do that 52 weeks in a row, man. That was hilarious. It's like, that's so true. It's like come back next week. It's going to be awesome, even more awesome than this week. And you got to do that the very next week and the very next week. Um, yeah, Grant, hard. what would you say uh, – like I said, man, we have a lot of leaders that listen to this podcast, but also a lot of young people themselves, college students, uh, teenagers. So what would you say to a leader that says, you know what, um, I, I want to disciple uh, young people, but I can't find any young people that are interested in discipleship. And then on the flip side, what would you say to the young person that says, I want to be discipled, but I can't find an older person to disciple me? Yeah
2: yeah uh I'd, I'd say this for both ways uh, whether they want to find someone to disciple or they want to disciple be discipled by someone i have found one of the easiest areas to start with because shane you know a little bit of this but just for everyone listening i i differentiate mentorship and discipleship as mentorship is if jesus said come and meet with me but discipleship is jesus saying come and follow me um, and i joke but i'm serious Is we don't in the church often even say come and meet with me mentorship or and follow me, discipleship, we usually just say, come and listen to me, which is again church, uh, mm-hmm. just yeah. come back next week, come listen to me, which is helpful. All three are helpful. They just start getting more and more robust from come and listen to me, to then come and meet with me, to then come and follow me. Um, and so what's great about discipleship is I say it's not adding something to your calendar when you're already crazy busy um, and trying to take stuff off your calendar. discipleship is instead instead of adding something to your calendar, including someone in your calendar. And so the four areas I would encourage you to consider inviting someone into is your personal life, which would be your hobbies. That's the easiest and most fun place to invite them. Because it's like, what do you like to do for fun? Spikeball, if you will, or yeah, whatever. Like if it's go see uh, the next Marvel movie coming out, I think in theaters or online, uh, will be uh, what's that? Sasha Romanoff, uh, Black Widow. Like, mm-hmm. and that's just a movie. So it's not the most experiential, but like how do I, I'm bringing the people with me into my hobby. Uh, which even basketball, I play a lot right now. And the guy, Disciple, he's come to basketball several times with me, he comes to basketball several times with me, but he comes to so many areas. But personal life, I would say work life, church life, or family life. Those are the four. Um, family life is very powerful if you're married uh, and or if you have kids. Uh, for a fatherless, broken home, passive parenting generation to the next generation, to see a father and a mother, you don't have to have a perfect marriage, but if you have a real marriage, it's powerful to see that. And um, even I joke, but like young people don't know how to cook. And so just to just to have a meal is a, is a big deal. But all that to say is I found one of the easiest places to also start is either personal life, or if you see someone who is spiritually a step ahead of you that is doing what you one day want to do uh, career-wise. I mean, I would say even if you weren't a Christian, it's just smart to do this. Like um, mm-hmm. I have su- successfully dropped out of college three times now and I would highly encourage discipleship is what messed me up is I started just following the people that were doing what I wanted to do. And I was like, I'm learning 10 times more than I'm learning in class <laughs> from just following this guy and seeing what is the real world in that arena at this time. Cause sometimes things move so fast that what they're teaching in school is not up to date with what is currently being used or leveraged and all that And in, in technology, especially, but not some things are timeless, but all that to say is like, um, It's just wise to, I would say if you're young, I mean, the last place you want to be, which is where so many young people are today, is just spending time with people your own age. Like, it's the dumbest thing you could do is just surround yourself with a whole bunch of other kids. I say that's like seventh graders asking other seventh graders for dating advice. Uh, If you wonder why you and all your friends are single, do not take a lot of (laughs) advice from your single friends. Like, I'm like, dude, I don't care what you think. You have never... (laughs) you you met your last girl on tinder and you're thinking, i want your advice <laughs> like go <laughs> and find a married couple and get advice from them uh yeah. and you wonder why i mean me, me and my friends like i'm looking for a job i always say well do your friends have a job well no we're all looking i'm like there's a common denominator of like go <laughs> be with people that have jobs that are older than you they actually are looking for young people mm-hmm. that are qualified and hungry to give an opportunity for a job and so um yeah, I would say find someone who's spiritually step ahead of you that's maybe 5, 10, 20 even years ahead of you in the work you want to do and it gives them a lane to to disciple a little better cuz sometimes discipleship can be overwhelming where you're like mm-hmm. man, what do you want me to start? But if you say hey, I just want to I tell young people be clear with your the older person and say, hey, these are three things I want to learn from you or maybe it's just simply one is mm-hmm. I I see the way you pray and I want to learn how to pray like that. And I see the way you're a father and I want to be I want to see I want to learn how to be a father. I know you're not perfect, but there's things about you that I I admire. And then third, like it could be, and then the work you do. I mean, one day I'd like to speak or one day I'd like to be an architect or I would like to be, uh, I I don't know, whatever the job is. um, Can you just show me practically what that looks like? That helps the older person also have a little clarity of, okay, if that's what you want to learn, then the best places to invite you into is this parts of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what what I encourage for you. Lastly, real quick, I would just say, the older generation has a ton of wisdom. What we have is a ton of time. Uh, you may not feel like it. And that's probably because in college, especially you just overcommit to things that if you think 10,000 years from now, they will not be important. Like try to really commit to, discipleship will matter in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 10,000 years from now. Um, but if you're volunteering in all these things, say yes to every hangout event, to every chill time or every movie, like hmm. you actually won't end up in sin. You'll just end up stuck. Uh, yeah. you'll end up at the end of college wondering what am I going to do with my life? And you had a lot of fun. And you just don't know what you want to do with your life. And you spent thousands of dollars and you might be in debt and it's going to wow. be crazy pressure. And so I would highly encourage be around older people, but discipleship is, I just lost this. Uh, you guys are both married. Um, but I always tell singles, there's this window of time where you don't have to ask your parents for permission. You could just go and do what you want to do and spend the, your money the way you want to spend it. And then you, there's this window where it ends where you don't again, you don't have to ask your parents for permission. You don't yet have to ask your wife for permission. You can just go and do things, and you can spend money on things. But now I, I lost this five months ago. Is I can't just go and do what I want to do. And yeah. if I want to buy something, I'm like, Babe, uh, this is over fifty dollars. Can I can I buy this? And, right, and sometimes right. it's just so dumb that I'm like, I'm not even gonna ask. Like <laughs> you know, she's gonna say no. Yeah. <laughs> Do you need a pair of shoes or do you need that video game or do you need whatever? Some of the dumb things start falling away because our wives are in our lives. And yeah. so, um, anyway, just leverage that time, that time uh, that you have to to just really move and, and manipulate your time in a great way and for the kingdom. Because uh, you're never going to have that window again of something that is a singleness that we so want to rush and get out of and get married. But I would say that before you get married, focus on the mission of God so that, you you set up your marriage um, and you, yeah, you've been discipled, you have wisdom and you know what to lead your spouse or lead with your spouse.
1: Man, I love that, Grant. Grant, always so much good information, man. Super practical, man. So thankful for you. Hey, Grant, tell everybody where they can uh, follow you online, social media, websites, anything you want to share with those who are listening.
2: Yeah, for any social media, um, Grant Skeldon, uh, just my just my name. I've I've never seen it. there's I've never seen my last name anywhere. So it helps with all social media It's just Grant Skeldon for speaking or anything like maybe messaging me or emailing me, just grantskeldon.com. And then um, for the organization I'm a part of now, it's q ideas. If you ever want to better engage in what's going on in culture and how do we respond um, as the next generation to the things that are happening in our culture, that's q uh,
1: yeah, leaders uh, leaders that are listening, I, I'm telling you, you want to follow what Grant's doing. Super helpful. He always has such a pulse of what's going on uh, with the generation that we all care about and are trying to reach right now. So Grant is a great, great asset to the kingdom of God. I'm yeah. so thankful for him. Uh, So kind, so easy to work with. So Grant, thank you so much for your time. And friends, thank you so much for listening to the Next General Mission podcast. If you have any questions on reaching the next generation, please email us at evangelism at nam.net. We'll try to address those on a future podcast. And listen, have a great rest of your day and tell somebody about Jesus.